0: Hey guys, it's Tana. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Oddity Potty. Last week I flew to Dallas for work and ended up getting snowed in there for a week. Imagine being stuck inside a hotel with 2,000 of your co-workers and a hotel staff that's completely unprepared to feed and handle us all. It was like being trapped in the movie The Shining with Hotel California as the soundtrack on loop. Serious props to the hotel staff of the Dallas Sheridan for staying there with us and making sure that we didn't starve or freeze. Y'all are the absolute best. I mentioned this on our Instagram, and one of our listeners, Heather, told me that I should check out Fort Worth while I was there, as it's super haunted. Unfortunately, I could not do that due to the aforementioned snow, but when I got back and looked it up, boy, was Heather right. So if you're in the mood for some Wild West ghosties, keep listening, because they didn't call downtown Fort Worth Hell's Half Acre for nothing. Like I said, last week I got snowed in in Dallas, Texas. That's one of the last places you'd think a blizzard would hit, and apparently Dallas felt the same way, as they were woefully unprepared for the onslaught of sleet and nice. There were no snow plows coming to save us, and most of the flights in and out of DFW were canceled because airline workers couldn't get to work. The highlight of the trip was when one of the elevators got stuck between floors and the fire department was slow to get there because of the road conditions. After about 40 minutes, the people on the elevator pried the doors open and tried to climb out. If you've listened to the episode I made called Death By, you know how badly that could have turned out. Thank God that elevator didn't end up chopping a bunch of people in half or you would have been hearing about my work trip on the national news. Cabin fever is a real thing, though. After several days of this craziness, the weather finally warmed up enough so that we were able to make it a short way down the street to Del Frisco's Double Eagle Steakhouse. There, I had a delicious dinner of Chilean sea bass with crab fried rice and garlic black bean sauce, which are five of my all-time favorite things on one plate. Naturally, I had to post a pic of it on Instagram. When our listener Heather saw this and suggested the Fort Worth for an episode, I googled it when I got back to the hotel, and the first thing that popped up under Haunted Places in Fort Worth was Del Frisco's Double Eagle Steakhouse. Now, this wasn't the same Del Frisco's that I ate at in Dallas. The one in Fort Worth is about 30 miles away and is located at 812 Main Street, which is an area of town that's full of history and, of course, hauntings. In the 1870s, the area became known as Hell's Half Acre and was the town's designated red light district. If you're not familiar with what a red light district is, it's generally an area of vice and debauchery and so-called because sex workers used to put red lights in their windows to signal that they were open for business. Eventually, the violence and crime became so bad in that section of town that it became also known as the Bloody Third Ward. Though it was only about 22,000 square feet in area, Hell's Half Acre contained rows and rows of boarding houses, bordellos, gambling halls, drinking saloons, and a few general stores sprinkled in for good measure. Since law-abiding citizens tried to stay away from the place, it became the perfect hideout for criminals. Because of this, famous Wild West villains and lawmen like Butch Cassidy, Doc Holliday, the Sundance Kid, and Wyatt Earp could be found there. Although people like White Earp attempted to clean the place up, the townsfolk didn't want it to be too clean because at the end of the day, the area generated a lot of revenue for the city of Fort Worth. In addition to all the houses of vice, Hell's Half Acre also had a few bathhouses. Back then, baths were a luxury that most indulged in only once a week or so at best. If you had some money to spare, you could get fresh, hot bath water and soak in it for no more than 30 minutes. You could still get a bath if you were less than wealthy, but you'd have to settle for cold, used water, and you might have to forego a towel. In 1890, the building that houses Del Frisco's was built to be a bathhouse. Its most seen ghost is that of a bathhouse patron who was murdered there. He was a gambler who won a big pot in a game of cards and decided to splurge on a hot bath. Unfortunately, someone saw him win that pot and decided that they wanted it. They waited until the gambler was soaking in his tub, and then they snuck up behind him, shot him in the back of the head, and took off with his winnings. People have seen the gambler in Del Frisco's on numerous occasions. Thankfully, he's wearing his Wild West cowboy suit and not the birthday suit that he died in. He's mostly seen in the banquet hall and upstairs bar, and he's often not seen but heard and felt. People have reported hearing disembodied footsteps pitter-pattering around and the feeling of being tapped on your shoulder. Sounds like this gambler ghost just likes to prank people, and he might be having a ball in the afterlife. Employees have witnessed wine glasses flying off the shelves and lights swinging around for no reason. According to an article on Ghost City Tours Fort Worth, in 2019, a paranormal investigator group called Mystic Ghosts evaluated Del Frisco's. Using an SLS camera, they captured a human figure in the upstairs dining room, and it's believed to be the ghost of the murdered gambler. About a five-minute walk down from Del Frisco's is a place called the Jet Building. It's located at 400 North Main Street. The Jet Building has been home to many businesses, and it kind of reminds me of that one stall in the mall where all businesses fail, no matter how great they were. In my hometown, it was the stall in the food court that sat between the Corn Dog 7 and Sabaro Pizza. It was a taco joint, a burger joint, and even served Chinese food once. But no matter how cheap and delicious the food was, no business ever survived more than a few months there. It was like the space was haunted. And that's exactly what's believed to be going on at the jet building. But who or what is haunting this ill-fated building? To answer that, we have to go way back to before the jet building even existed. During the Civil War, most American men were involved in fighting on one side or the other and were unable to help take care of their homesteads. Lots of cattle ranches in Texas were abandoned as their owners were gone for years and years. Because cattle are sassy beasts who do what they want, the cows frolicked and roamed as they pleased, mating with the sexiest bulls that they could find. It was a summer of free love for cattle, which turned into four summers of love, which then resulted in a whole, whole lot of beef. But while the Texas Longhorns continued to party and multiply at an unprecedented rate, the big city folks up east had the opposite problem. They were rapidly burning through their beef supplies with no way to replenish them. So, much like we discovered in the past few years with toilet paper and eggs and Lysol wipes, when demand outpaces supply, prices go up. A steer in Texas at that time might sell for up to 200 times more money in New York. That was great news for folks in Texas who lost everything by being on the wrong side of the Civil War. Problem was, there was no efficient way to transport those cattle from small Texas towns to the city since there was no railroads connecting them. This is when a guy named Jesse Chisholm discovered a route that ran all the way from the most remote parts of South Texas to the rail yards in Kansas, where cattle could be loaded onto trains and taken up north to sell. The trail ran all the way up the Texas Plains and through Oklahoma before ending in Kansas with plenty of rest stops along the way, including Fort Worth and the famous Hell's Half Acre. The Chisholm Trail was a major route out of Texas for livestock from 1867 to 1884 and was largely responsible for the economic boom that enabled Texas to recover from the financial devastation of the Civil War. But Jesse Chisholm's trail wasn't an easy one. Cattle drives could take several months. Death by stampede, snake bite, Native American conflicts, cattle thieves, and river crossings, injuries, illness, and probably even gingivitis were common. If they survived, most cattle drivers didn't last more than one or two trips up north before retiring. It was just too difficult and dangerous. However, there were some bright spots in the trail rides. The men did enjoy their stops at Fort Worth's red light district. Of course, they had to park their horses when they came to town, and sometimes when they did that, they decided to cut bait and bail on the cattle drive altogether. On their website, Ghost City Tours recounts the chilling story of one of these horses who apparently committed suicide right in front of where the jet building stands today. It happened in 1891 when a man named Richard Barber struck a deal to sell his horse. The buyer wasn't exactly a cowboy. He wanted the horse to pull a carriage. So Richard brought his horse to the corner of 3rd Main, and there they proceeded to try and harness this horse to a carriage. But the horse did not like it. Instead of complying graciously, the horse, quote, got up on his hind legs and raised himself so straight that he fell over backwards, his head striking the curbstone, splitting his skull and causing his death. It looked like a remarkably cool attempt at self-destruction, and the bystanders declared it was an actual case of suicide, end quote. Although no one has ever reported seeing a ghost horse, that's still an unsettling story that was spooky enough to warrant sharing with you guys. At the time of the horse's death, it was standing in front of the cabinet saloon, which is what the jet building was called back then. In 1897, a famous gambler frequented that saloon, a fellow by the name of Mike Crummer. If you've never heard of Mike Crummer, you might know him by his alias, the Colorado Kid. Back then, the Colorado Kid was known for his gambling expertise and quick temper. He stayed in Hell's Half Acre for quite a while, and long enough to get into debt and make some enemies. One of his biggest beefs was with a dealer named Charlie Walker. One afternoon, after a long day of drinking, the Colorado Kid decided to take up his grievances with Charlie. He showed up where Charlie was dealing cards and started talking smack. Before anyone knew what was happening, the kid whipped out a knife and charged at Charlie. Charlie reacted quickly and shot the kid with a gun that he kept hidden under his car table. The kid didn't die immediately. He lingered for a couple of days, and from his deathbed, he insisted that Charlie Walker not be charged with murder because he had fully intended to cut Charlie's throat. Charlie had definitely acted in self-defense, the kid said, and if he hadn't pulled a gun, he would have been a coward. Now, an article written in 1910 about the incident says the shooting happened at the cabinet saloon, but others say it happened a few blocks away and that the kid's body was brought back to the corner of 3rd and Main, where not only a saloon was operating, but also an undertaker's office. That seems pretty convenient to have an undertaker so nearby the places where people tended to die violently on the rig. It's believed that this undertaking business is at least partially responsible for some of the hauntings of the jet building today, but we'll get to that in a minute. The building that's now the Jet was originally constructed in 1902 as a business office for the Northern Texas Traction Company, which operated streetcars and trains. So this former site of Wild West shootouts existed as a rather mundane office space until 1934, when the widespread use of cars put the railroad out of business. This is when the revolving door of businesses began. Someone bought the building and turned it into a candy store, but they didn't just sell normal candy. The upstairs was converted into a brothel, which is believed to be the origin of the various female ghosts that had been seen there. When sex workers eventually modernized, this business went belly up, and again the building went through multiple hands. Everyone who tried to set up shop in the building failed in short order, just like that one kiosk in the mall. It was almost as if the ghosts of the Northern Texas Traction Company refused to let anyone succeed since they hadn't been able to. This cycle of failure went on until 1979, when Fort Worth launched an initiative called the Sundance Square Project, which was designed to revitalize the downtown area and bring in tourist revenue. A real estate agent by the name of Jet sold the building to the city, who in turn named the building after the realtor. In 1985, the building was restored, and in 1988, a mural of the Chisholm Trail was painted on the backside of the jet building to commemorate the cattle drivers who helped Fort Worth and Texas prosper, if not the tenant-vendors of the jet building itself. But despite the renovations, business still had very hard times surviving in the building. Some chalked it up to bad luck, but others blamed some very specific ghosts for sabotaging their life's work. One of those specters is one they call the pallid cattleman. He's described as an extremely pale cowboy dressed all in black. Some believe that he's the ghost of the Colorado Kid, whose body was prepared for burial in the very site that the jet building stands on. Others think that it may be any one of the scores of cowboys who met their end in Hell's Half Acre. Sometimes the pallid cattleman is seen in full, and other times he's just a black shadow that dissipates quickly after being spotted. Local radio station KFWR 95.9 operates out of the jet building, and its employees believe that the place is haunted, reporting random cold spots all over the place and lights turning off and on on their own, strange noises and the feeling that they're being watched. According to the Ghost City Tours website, who interviewed one of these radio hosts, they've not only seen the shadowy cowboy but picked up on unknown voices and recordings while doing their radio shows. Local paranormal investigators caught an image of a tall man in a photo that they believed to be the same cowboy. Or maybe it was THE tall man. The jury's still out on that one. The cowboy isn't the only ghost haunting the building and ruining everyone's businesses. Turns out there are lots of lady ghosts there too, perhaps remnants of the building's days as a bordello. These female spirits seem to be concentrated on the third floor, where the specter of a woman has been seen in the windows of vacant rooms. Another spooked tenant said that a woman appeared in the mirror behind them and disappeared when they turned around to see who it was. The sound of high heels clicking on the floor as well as the scream of a woman crying out for help had been heard when no one else was in the building. One former tenant said that while she was in the basement early one morning, she heard the sound of something crashing on the floor above her. When she went up to see what it was, she heard it again, but this time the sound came from the second floor. When she went up to the second floor to check it out, The sound moved up to the third floor. Once she got on the third floor, she found a wire rack of wine glasses. One by one, the glasses were plucked from the rack and thrown to the floor, seemingly by an invisible hand. Unsurprisingly, the woman's business went down the tube soon after. One of the weirdest stories that the Ghost City Tours referenced on their website happened to a woman who'd been exploring the jet building all on her own. She fell in love with a view from the third floor, so she tracked down the owner of the building and asked about transforming it into apartments. Puzzled, the owner explained that she couldn't be talking about the third floor because all the windows were boarded up up there. The woman argued, insisting that she'd just been up there and the spectacular view of Maine was what convinced her to find him. They went back and forth about this for a while and eventually the owner agreed to go with her to the jet building so that she could show him the view that she was raving about. When they arrived on the third floor, the woman was astonished to see that, just as the owner had said, all of the windows on the third floor were boarded up. This wasn't necessarily ghost sighting, but it's still very paranormal. It reminds me of that time that Hallie and I saw the shutters of the top floor of the Ursuline Convent laying wide open, and then just a few seconds later looked again and they were nailed shut. In any case, the jet building has been so many things that there's no telling what residuals were left behind there. While the Cabinet Saloon might have been famous for the death of the Colorado Kid, the most famous saloon in Hell's Half Acre was called the White Elephant. Unlike some of the other bars and saloons in the Red Light District, the White Elephant was elegant and offered live entertainment. That's not to say it didn't have its fair share of violence and crime, though. The White Elephant's claim to fame was being the site of Fort Worth's last gunfight involving one of Fort Worth's most legendary lawmen, Sheriff Jim Courtright, also known as Longhair as he liked to wear his hair long and a-flowing. Longhair was in charge of keeping the peace in Hell's Half Acre. As much as he avoided haircuts, he did a good job cutting crime and was responsible for reducing Fort Worth's murder rate by more than half, but that peace came at a price. Longhair Jim was famous for his sharpshooting skills, and few dared to challenge him in a gunfight. The sheriff capitalized on his reputation as a sharpshooter by extorting money from business owners in exchange for protection since part of his job description was to protect as in protect and serve that made longhair jim kind of corrupt the white elephant was owned by a fellow named luke short luke had grown tired of paying longhair jim extra for doing his actual job and he began to refuse to pay the sheriff's protection fee one night longhair jim came in and demanded extortion money and luke said no way get out of here longhair jim reached for his gun but luke was faster Turns out, he was a sharpshooter too. Before long Jim could even unholster his pistol, Luke shot him in the thumb, preventing him from drawing his gun. And then Luke shot him in the shoulder and then in the heart. Since long Jim had attempted to draw first, Luke Short was found not guilty of murder since he'd acted in self-defense. Today, you can visit the White Elephant Saloon, located at 106 East Exchange Avenue, where patrons have seen and felt the angry ghost of the shady sheriff. He's pretty unmistakable with his long, flowing hair. Guests have also described a hostile, dark energy following them around in the saloon, which is also believed to be the spirit of the lawman who's still salty about losing its final gunfight. A short five-minute walk away from the Fabio of cop ghosts is another Wild West throwback, which has its own fair share of spirits. Miss Molly's Hotel, located at 109 West Exchange Avenue, sits above the Star Cafe. It's the oldest bed and breakfast in Fort Worth, but it wasn't always just a bed and breakfast. Remember, we're talking about Hell's Half Acres here. When it was originally built in 1910, it served as a boarding house for cowboys and criminals that was called the Palace Rooms. But soon enough, it transformed into a bordello called the Gayette Hotel. All in all, there are eight rooms at Miss Molly's, all decorated according to theme, and their website boasts that there are no TVs or phones anywhere. MissMolly'sHotel.com says that one of the most popular rooms is decorated from the floor to the ceiling in red velvet and lace, and is named for the Bordello's former madame, Miss Josie, as in, Miss Josie's room. It's from the Bordello years that Miss Molly's acquired its most famous ghost, a beautiful blonde specter who likes to creep into bed with unsuspecting guests who stay at the Cattleman's and the Cowboy's room. This frisky young lady, along with many other working girls from back in the day, had been seen by guests staying at the hotel and felt as well. Guests have also been overwhelmed by the scent of phantom perfume, have items disappeared only to reappear later in a different spot, have had the pool chains on their old-fashioned toilets pulled and flushed by unseen hands, and when trying to flee, found themselves unable to open unlocked doors. According to Miss Molly's website, a former housekeeper quit because she kept finding coins in rooms that she'd just cleaned, as well as in rooms where no guests had even been staying. She'd pick up the coins and leave, only to return later and find the coins right back where they'd been before. I mean... I'd look at this as a way to make a little extra cash on the side, but this housekeeper didn't feel the same, and she bolted. Maybe it was the ghost of a patron who was condemned to pay his escort over and over for eternity. Whatever the case may be, the hauntings at Miss Molly's are so frequent that it's a hot spot for paranormal investigators as well, and it's even featured in a paranormal activity class at Texas Christian University, which sounds like an odd college course to offer, but also a super fun one. Students have captured phenomena on audio and camera, and the evidence is proudly displayed in the common areas of the hotel. Fortunately, the ghosts are said to stay strictly upstairs and leave the dining room alone, so if you're staying at Miss Molly's and you need a break from all the drama, you can head down to the Star Cafe for some dinner and a little peace. I really wish that I'd known how haunted Fort Worth was before I went, because there's so much history in Hell's Half Acre that I could probably do 10 episodes over it. I'll definitely be revisiting the old Wild West City in future episodes, and hopefully I'll physically be able to be there again, barring another freak snowstorm. Thanks again to Heather for the heads up. Guys, thank you so much for spending your time with me today. I appreciate you guys so very much, and I hope you'll join me again next week. Same time, same place for a little more history and a little more haunt. We'll see you then.